You can be an atheist and you could be interested in Jesus. You can be agnostic and you could decide, I'm going to start following Jesus. Welcome to the Soma Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. Now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs, we're trying to find a way forward to hold on to Christian faith and community in a post-Christian culture. I actually brought three of my cameras today. So I'm going to get a little nerdy here. <laughs> this is a $50 Holger camera, which is a plastic camera. And people use this with film, and they use it because it gives a very low-quality um, kind of image that's kind of artsy and kind of interesting. I was very interested in low-quality photography for a while. Mm -hmm. This is a pinhole camera that I've made, which essentially is just a little pinprick hole inside of a box. And um, you can use it to take pictures. You can actually use it like a view camera. And you'll see the world upside down very faint. And you have to look very carefully to see the picture. And then this camera is my regular camera here, this Fuji. And um, that lens new is about $800, which is actually a very inexpensive lens. So people buy lenses that cost $5,000 or $10,000 if they're a Leica lens. And the reason you pay $10,000 for a Leica lens is because it has a certain character, it has a certain look that you just cannot get with just your average standard uh, kit lens. Um, so I wonder if that relates at all to um, our topic tonight in terms of does the lens that we use or the way that we approach reading uh, the Bible mm -hmm. affect what we see or the quality of what we see? Sounds like you spent a lot of money on camera lenses, my friend. Um, way more than I should have. And the, the, the thing about people who get into camera lenses is they, they usually buy and sell them. And so <laughs> I've, I've stopped doing that now because it's a very expensive <laughs> hobby. But um, I have bought and sold a lot, of, a lot of camera lenses, yeah. Yeah, so we have talked about um, approaching the Bible with a lens. Uh, we've talked about Jesus as the lens and the horizontal lens. And we've talked about sort of our worldview, the mindset we have when we approach these things of faith. So today we want to unpack the Jesus as lens. When I say Jesus as lens, um, I kind of mean two things. Uh, one, I see, I see Jesus as a lens to view the character and nature of God. And the second is a lens for scripture, a lens for the rest of the Bible. I guess what I'm saying is I've decided to buy into Jesus's version of God. Um, it's a choice I've made, but I think uh, I've made it based on a couple of things. From One is from my own personal experience and also just the, the tremendous impact that Jesus has had on history. You know, we literally divide history into two halves before Christ and after Christ, at least from a Western perspective. And um, he, no matter what you think about who Jesus is or was, you can't deny the incredible impact he's had on the human race and the power of his words and the ideas that he brought to humanity. I, I listen to a few uh, podcasters um, who aren't Christians, some, some, of them, some of them are atheists. I think of one of them is Sam Harris, who I've listened to quite a bit. He's been a, quite a critique of religion uh, right. and a, a very prominent atheist. But he was asked one time if he could go back and meet any person and have like a conversation and spend time with any person in history, who would, who would that be? And surprisingly, he said... He said, I think that would be Jesus, actually. Uh, because that would be a good one. I, I think I would feel the same way. Yeah. So he recognized that whatever you think of Jesus, he's had a huge impact on the world. And I guess I've bought into more than just that he was a great teacher. I, I think Jesus brings a lens to view the character of God. And 
um, I'm, I'm buying into that. Like I, he, he, you know, the, the things we've said before, like if you've seen, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So he presented the idea. He was saying, I am a lens uh, to God. If you, if you've looked at me and you see my character, you, you are seeing the character of God. And even that title son of God, I know that there are um, old Testament, you know, m- sort of meanings behind that title that, that have a lot of carry a lot of weight to the people of the time. But just the idea of the son of anybody, right? Like people see my son and they literally say, oh, you, you look like your dad, right? right. That, the power of genetics or that resemblance is there. And I see that Jesus does use that metaphor when, when he references being a son of God. He's, he, he's saying that, you, you know, that the son of God title is someone who looks like or reflects or has a resemblance to God. So I, I am buying into this idea that Jesus is a lens to which, through which we can see what God is all about. Yeah, I think that we've used it quite a bit in our in our house church group to say, you know, so you read the Bible, and a lot of people decide, oh, I'm going to read the Bible. They start right at the beginning, and and they get completely bogged down somewhere, you know, in Leviticus or Numbers or something, and it's it's confusing. It's histories. It's numbers. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of stuff that you don't really know what to make of. And so one. Uh, one thing we're saying perhaps is that by focusing on Jesus, he's the protagonist, you know, the main mm-hmm. point of the story. Right. And we look back at some of these other more difficult books, looking for where Jesus might be in that book. And yeah. that, that's a helpful way of, um, and I think symbolically looking for Jesus, that's a helpful way of uh, looking for clues about what the bigger story is and what God might be trying to communicate. Not to say that it's not also important for some people do read and study the numbers, you study the, you know, all the nitty gritty of the Old Testament. But for someone who's just starting out or someone who's trying to understand how it all fits together, Mm -hmm. looking for Jesus, not just in the Gospels, but throughout the Bible is one way that you can say Jesus can be, can be a lens. Yeah, that, and that gets to that second lens I talked about where Jesus as a lens to the nature of God or the, the way to view God. But a second one is Jesus as a lens to the rest of scripture. And both of those ideas come from Jesus. He, he said he's that lens to the nature of God, but he also was the first one to point out um, that passages in the old Testament were speaking of him. Right. So he set this sort of tone and the, and the new Testament writers pick it up. Um, I, I think of um, one, one story that, that always sort of resonates with me is that after Jesus had died on the cross and he was buried on the third day, um, the, there were certain women that came to the tomb and purported that it was empty and that he had risen and they had a vision of Jesus. And there were two disciples that were walking on a road uh, to Emmaus, the story of the road to Emmaus. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up, <laughs> the, the resurrected Christ shows up and starts to walk with them. And for some reason they can't recognize him. He has this way of sort of, cloaking himself and uh and he's like what's going on and and they're so surprised because they're like are you the only person around that hasn't heard what's happened and he's like well what's happened he's sort of what what things are you talking about and they go on to talk about jesus and that how he was crucified and he was buried and and they say we thought he was the one you know and and you can tell that they were teeter-tottering on their faith and uh and then all of a sudden jesus there's this there's this um little phrase this is in luke 24 verse 27 he goes and jesus began to it to expound to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself 
So here he is, he's walking on this journey. It's probably an hour, hours of walking. And he starts to go into their own Hebrew Bible and, and look at verses all over the place and talk about how all these things were speaking about this Jesus person. And they finally get to their destination and they have dinner. They still don't recognize him. But then he takes some bread and he breaks it as, and, and sort of blesses the food. And all of a sudden their eyes open and they realize, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And, and then he kind of disappears. Um, and then afterwards, when they recall the story, they say, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? And I, I, I think that stands out to me because I've experienced that. And I think we've referenced that before. There's something about Jesus's words, his teachings. There's something about the Bible that when you start to read it, sometimes I've experienced this where it feels like my heart is burning inside of me as you're seeing sort of things for the first time, as your eyes are being opened to things. And so Jesus himself set this tone of, um, I'm a lens into the scripture. I mean, to I think to some people that's going to sound kind of crazy and like yeah. you're just having a, a, this kind of weird experience, so why right. should you base anything on that? And, uh, and unfortunately, I think that is a part of the issue, right? We could... We could um, articulate all kinds of historical information about the Bible, and I, I know I've read books on the historical accuracy of scriptures and, and how to answer this problem or that problem, and it's not very satisfying for, for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had an experience one time, so to answer with an experience, I was at a, a conference um, in Toronto, and um, there was a pastor there who encouraged us all week at this conference to pray and ask God to reveal Jesus to you. And I hmm. thought, well, okay, well, I've already, you know, I already, already believe in Jesus. And, yeah. um, but he, he was adamant. He said, you, you can have an experience of Jesus, you know, in a, in a moment kind of thing. So I was praying this all week. And at this particular church dealt with the homeless. And they had um, homeless people who would come in to, you know, give them food and, and showers or whatever it was. And there was this homeless man sitting on a couch and um, he was basically, I think he might've been inebriated, but he was, you know, he was kind of in and out of awareness. Mm. And I saw the, uh, I think it was the assistant pastor actually go over and just very gently, he kind of adjusted how the man was, the man was kind of slouched over and it looked uncomfortable. He, he just kind of gently adjusted how he was sitting. Mm. And in that moment, I, f- I felt like or I, th- I, I thought I was perceiving Christ was in that in that interaction and I, it was it was it was really kind of a, an eye-opening moment and and I, and I think that is part of the problem right we can explain a lot of things mm-hmm. about Jesus we can say here's you know this story is important or that story mm-hmm. but you still have to have in some sense, um, your own personal I'll use the word revelation or insight into how jesus uh, mm-hmm. is present for you mm-hmm. um there's a scripture that says you know for judgment i've come into this world so that the blind will see mm-hmm. and those who will see will become blind and there is something about jesus presence that sometimes helps certain people to see and other and i've had many conversations with people who come away with the opposite and they just doesn't matter what you tell them it just doesn't impact them they don't want anything to do with it mm-hmm. um, and that's some of i think the mystery of how um you know jesus can be perceived can be realized and people can 
can kind of connect with them. Mm-hmm. It's not a question of just having the right information. If it were, we could just say, here's here's the facts. It's not cognitive alone. I think that it's um, having the right lens as a sense, having a spiritual insight, vision, that's mm-hmm. something that I think God has to give to you. Yeah, I think you're I think you're you're onto something there. You know, there's something that has to sort of compel you uh to to seek Jesus. There's something that has to compel you to go beyond the intellect and say at at a deeper heart level, I I want to understand Jesus. There's something moving me that way. And I and I would say it's definitely helpful to read the text cuz too many people um think they know about Jesus, but they haven't haven't read it. And I would even say for myself, a lot of times if I haven't read the Gospels for a while, I think I have a clear picture of Jesus. Then I read it and I'm like, oh, that doesn't fit at all my my notion. There, there's he's he's very uh, he comes alive when you read it at times. Yeah, and there's thing, that. things there that don't fit your pre your pre notions, you know. Yeah, which is I think why you have to. Um, you have to go back to it and you have to be open because it's um, it, it's not a one-time thing where now I've got the message and I understood it. I'll tell you a few of the things that I like about Jesus. And when I say I, I've bought into his version of God, um, I like um, the things that have impacted me very powerfully was were, are things like non, his non-violence, like his non-violent teachings of you know, if someone strikes you on one cheek, you give them the other cheek or, you know, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. Someone forces you to walk a mile, walk another mile with them. And he sort of turns things upside down so that you can't, uh, it's, it's, there's this phrase in the Bible that's like, when you're kind to people um, who are being evil to you, it's like dumping coals on their head, right? Like it's this response. It's like this opposite spirit. And he, he brought that type of view into humanity. Another thing I think is so powerful is, you know, the idea of unconditional love and forgiveness and acceptance. Like these are very powerful ideas that even 2000 years later, we struggle to really see. And when we see somebody live like this, we call them a saint, right? It's just so, it's so forward thinking and it's so revolutionary. And those ideas that he brought and he lived and he taught and ultimately culminating in the crucifixion. You know, we've talked about the crucifixion a couple of times, but I love this powerful idea. It's a Christian idea, and I don't see it anywhere else, where it's like God becomes human, suffers like humans, and we throw everything at him. And we literally, I mean, the Romans devised the most terrible way to, the most painful way to kill somebody. Um, the ca- that cat of nine tails, that crazy whip that would rip the flesh off someone's back and, and the way they would nail you, wouldn't, it wasn't through the palms, it was right through the wrists, right? So it was tons of nerve right. centers and it's just super painful. And he's like, they threw all of this to Jesus. And, you know, the story is this, the story goes like this, um, they've done this to God. And God says back, forgive them. For- I forgive you. It's I, that... I love I love that and it, and it's powerful and and again even when Jesus was on the cross and he said my God my God why have you forsaken me he he didn't just make that up he was quoting Psalm 22 even there on the cross he was pointing back to scripture saying this thing that's happening right now is Psalm 22 
And if you read Psalm 22, again, this is these are things that I read and I experience that I go, there's something to this, and it makes me believe, even though I have a lot of other doubts and things pulling at it, these things are powerful. Because Psalm 22 is written a thousand years before Roman crucifixion, and it talks about things like, they pierced my hands and my feet. You know, they cast lots for my clothes. Like this is, these are details in the narrative that um, is, is pointing back to Psalm 22. So I think you're right about, you, you know, when you say um, maybe you just need to read the scriptures because you have a better chance of getting that understanding or that revelation of Christ as you read them. I think, I mean, it says faith comes by hearing. So one way to hear is to actually engage and read the scriptures. Um, many people, I think, I mean, a lot of what you've just said, in all honesty, is, is their ideals and their ideas are distilled mm-hmm. story. They're distilled parts of, of scripture. Yeah. Even when I read it, I'm not saying what you have described is not in there, mm-hmm. but you're giving me a distilled, purified message. Yeah. The nitty gritty of it, you know, is is maybe uh, need, needs to be experienced in the text. And that was my experience when I first started reading, as particularly the New Testament, was how different it was than I assumed, you know. It was yeah. different than I assumed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also a third way in a sense that that um, there's, a, there's a way in which um, Jesus acts as a kind of a lens, you know. So if something happened to Jesus, Mm -hmm. I think it's also something that can happen to us. But not, you know, not in the literal surface text. I think Mm -hmm. many traditional Christians get very hung up on the surface text. So, you know, they know what it means. They're good at at reading it and memorizing it. And so they read the surface text. But when you start trying to apply it and you start looking Mm -hmm. at it symbolically, Mm -hmm. they they feel it's suspicious. And, and, but one way that I I see that we can do that is so if, you know, if, if Jesus is crucified and, and, and goes through this process of, of, you know, having to die to himself and, and, you know, maybe that's also something that can happen in your life. You're not going to be literally crucified in the mm-hmm. surface sense of, of the story, but there are times in your life where you might, uh, you know, you might go through excruciating experiences, you might go through loss, you might go through a death of something in your life, and then you're waiting for God to resurrect you, you're waiting for God to bring you back, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of uh, Peter, you know, he denies Christ and he, and you know, you know, in the story, it says, Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me three times before this night is out. Yeah. And he's like, no way. I'm paraphrasing here, right? He, yeah. he, he's going to follow Jesus wherever Jesus goes. Right. And yet, of course, in the story, we know as soon as Jesus is arrested, he's like, oh, that wasn't what I expected. And so now he's afraid. And now he's kind of trying to understand what's happened. And now people are calling him out saying, hey, weren't you with that Messiah guy? And he's denying it. Mm -hmm. And so he fulfills the prophecy that Jesus gave him. But he also has an experience, the death of how he thought the story was going to go. And then later on, we know Jesus comes and kind of reinstates him. And so if, if even Peter one of the most important followers of Jesus can lose his faith, can have an experience of denying Christ, can need to be reinstated by, by Christ. Maybe we also can have that kind of experience. And so I, there's a symbolic way that we can read into the text mm-hmm. and see that how it might also apply to us. 
So Jesus is a lens for God, a lens for scripture, and also a lens for human experience and a way to gain, to have certain insight and wisdom in those experiences. Yeah, the, I would say the symbolic patterns in how God works in reality. So God has a way of working, and the spiritual stories are historically, uh, I think, historically real, yeah. but they also continue to happen. So we are also participating in... Um, in Christ, you know, and Paul even says we always carry around in our bodies, um, you know, the death of Christ. And so he's what he's basically saying is it's an ongoing story. And so there's still ways in which we, if we understand the story, can participate in it. So we can apply the lens of, you know, understanding Christ and how, how God functions to our own lives. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Mark, I, I like that history. I like those stories, the language, the root system. You know, in the past episodes, we have talked about, you know, th- there have been people who have been reaching out to us and they've come to a place where they're losing their Christian faith. And I think the thing, and, I, and I've been very honest with, with you and with the listeners about my own journey there. Um, and the thing that's causing me to hold on or want to find a way forward is I find meaning in these roots. I find meaning in the in this foundation um, that I just don't want to. I feel like if I just threw it away, it would be like just cracking the foundation of, of a house and having the whole thing topple down. Um, I thought about the even the way our you know things like our the way our our brains are organized, right? Like there's layers to the brain. There's like a trinity or triune brain. We have a we have like a brain stem that takes care of keeping us safe and running our physical bodies. And then we have this limbic system that's more about emotion and feeling connected. And it's like they, they call it like the, the maybe the mammal brain and the, you have the reptile brain, the mammal brain. And yeah, the, those are all just they're, they're all metaphors. They're, some they're all metaphors. Them, yeah. Absolutely. But this the idea is that, that you have this free, sort of frontal lobes that handle ration, uh, ration and logic and decision making and they model the future. The thing is, they all have a place and you can't. And they all work together and you can't just throw out the lower parts of your brain, you know? And, and so when I look at our Judeo Christian roots, I look at Jesus, I look at the scriptures, uh, even though I might have this front frontal lobe of science and, you know, modern day, um, you know, uh, logic and, and the modern view, um, I don't want to negate how important that, root is how important it is to have that connection to our past and to scripture and 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 jesus as a lens to me is is standing the test of time and i i think it's helpful to approach scripture with that that kind of a mindset because we can um we can look for the connections in the story and it is a, a multi-layered story mm-hmm. but i th- i think there are some reasons people don't get to that point and, and one of them is identity and we've talked about identity in the past mm-hmm. um so if my view of what a Christian is, is, you know, negative, judgmental, um, conservative, mm-hmm. um, someone who just, you know, I, I don't want to identify with, um, that's, that's maybe uh, in a sense saying there's, there's other lenses we can put on or in front of the Jesus lens that get in the way and distort the picture. All right. A rose colored or not a rose colored well, glass. Well, sometimes <laughs> it might be rose colored, but a lot of times I think it's just, you know, it's broken or murky or, or, or comes through past experiences with church or with other individuals mm-hmm. that stop you from um, seeing Jesus clearly. So it's a, it's a multi-layered problem. It's not as simple as just put on the right lens and it all works. You right. know, 
Um, and let's face it, even in the story of the Gospels, mm-hmm. many of the people in Jesus' day did not accept Christ and did miss. And that's one of the questions that the Apostle Paul deals with. Well, how come so many of the chosen people, the, the Jewish people, did not receive the Messiah? So, yeah. And they had the root system. Mm-hmm. They had the, the story. They knew it better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Yet when Jesus came, there was something in how he appeared to them that it says essentially that um, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus was crucified on a tree, and, and to many people in uh, Jews of Jesus' day, it was like he can't be the Messiah because of how he died, right? Um, who he hung out with, and all. so there's all of these things that they've added on to their view of Scripture yeah. that stopped them from seeing Jesus, and. You know, we don't have too many Pharisees, in, in a sense, running around in our streets today, but we have a <laughs> lot of people with baggage with the church, baggage, you know, with religion. They, yeah. they see religion very negatively, so they don't ever get to the point where they see very much of Jesus. Yeah. And that's that's a real issue, you know. Um, I've heard it said um, when I was doing the herring, I, I remember once a person say to me, you know, uh, Jesus I like, it's his followers I can't stand. <laughs> And, and I thought, well, that's a compliment in a way, because what he's saying is I see a little glimpse of Jesus through the work that we were doing. You know, it was just enough to kind of see there might be a difference. Yeah. Um, and, that, and I would say that's, um, you know, reading the Bible and, and trying to connect with God through Christ is a process sometimes of taking away some of those uh, identity barriers. Like, you have to be willing, if, if Jesus is who he says he is, um, and he's real— then there's a de- an identity claim on your life. You know who you are and who you're created to be is, um, you know, it's essentially not just your own anymore. It's God has a claim on your life, and so you, are you willing to be, um, you know, open to that? I've I've prayed with many people. I remember praying with someone who claimed to be a witch one time. And yeah, they wanted they wanted to be a Christian. They prayed and they, you know they, they did the whole uh, prayer, song and dance. And then within a few days, I remember them saying something to the effect of, oh, "I don't like this because I feel like God wants to change me." And so then they they, they said, "I don't want anything to do with it." And, really? and you know, it would be unfair to say I think a relationship or a connection with God is a process of change, and that if you experience Christ, He may. Um, there may be things in you that he wants to uh, wants to refine or to change. I know I've said this before, but it just keeps coming up in our episodes, Mark. It it the idea of the detox or the deconstruction. I know a lot of our listeners have gone through a deconstruction or are going to through a deconstruction. Some of them have reached out to us and have said, you know, they that they're actually just barely holding on to faith, or maybe they've left the faith. But maybe a part of that journey is just clearing away those other lenses that you're talking about, like all the bad experiences and all the, all the things that can get in the way of seeing Jesus for maybe who Jesus is. Um, and I think maybe that's happened to me. You know, I, I was young when I became a Christian. I was 12. It was very powerful, and I had a very powerful experience, and I've sustained, it sustained me for many years. But at the same time, I can see now that now that I've kind of deconstructed all this, I'm kind of coming back to these stories in the Bible. I'm coming back to the Gospels. I'm coming back to Jesus. And I am kind of seeing it fresh. And I, a lot of those lenses have been taken down. And now I'm kind of coming at it pretty 
just, just, I don't know, without all the layers, I think, I think I have a better chance at maybe seeing more clearly. I, I think, you know, continuing with the identity theme, I, I think, you know, in adolescence, there is this um, push pull that we have with our parents, right? Even if you have great parents and you have good connection with your parents, you want to develop your own identity. And, and so there's often a tension and a push and a pull and a, a breaking. You, you, you know, sometimes for a season, you want to be the anti, mm-hmm. like your dad or, or your mom mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there there is that, that drive that is within people. And, and I think um, for many, that's how they, I think, becoming a Christian would seem like the opposite of who they are. And so you have to be open if it's real and God is able to make himself known, you have to be open to that process of God maybe giving you a new lens or a new way to see mm-hmm. a new, uh, you know, um, in a positive way. I, I, one time I made this video um, for, a, for an event where I, I photographed uh, out of this book a whole series of images of Jesus from different cultures. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I put it to the music of Gavin Breyers. I don't know if you heard of him, but he's a composer and he had this song um, Jesus blood never failed me and it's it's a it's a recording of this homeless person on the street and it's really a powerful piece like he's a, like a modern con, um, composer I guess wow. and so I put these images to this music and I played it at this retreat actually and I, rem- I remember in the middle of it this one woman she kind of almost like jumped up and and because you know in the video there's there's european images of jesus there's mm-hmm. korean there's russian there's all these different images and she's like is there going to be one from my culture i think she was uh i think she was asian i don't i can't 100 remember where, what country she was from but she was really concerned that her country was not mm-hmm. represented in that and so mm-hmm. i think people want to see jesus also connects with them and their identity and where they came from so it's just the positive side of it you know yeah and when and when she saw that jesus in in the video that was that she identified with she you know she was like almost in tears wow <laughs> you know and, I, and so i thought yeah i'm on to something there it's like um and in a sense that's what happened to me in toronto is that jesus just showed me a little glimpse mm-hmm. you know and we've all i've had other glimpses like that i'm sure you have mm-hmm. that um that is one of the challenges, I think, of faith is not just to read the Bible every day or, or get the basic information, but it's to learn to see Jesus out in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really powerful. This kind of brings up the topic of uh, which Jesus, right? And I, I'm kind of thinking that there are many on-ramps to looking at Jesus. Um, but which Jesus, I, maybe there it, it isn't just one lens, Mark, maybe it's a lens package <laughs> um, because, you know, if you think of a lens package, you have different lenses. I'm not a camera person, so you know this more than I do, but you have different lenses for different purposes. I mean, Yeah, there's I, a never-ending amount of lenses <laughs> that you need if you're a photographer. Yeah, I mean, I only know of a few. I mean, I, I think of a macro lens to really get in the small details, a telephoto lens, you know, to see far away. There's wide lenses that take in just way more information and standard lenses and specialty lenses. And that the idea there is that just depending on the purpose and depending on the kind of view you want to get, you use a different lens. And I, I, I can see that even in the Bible, there are different lenses on Jesus, right? Like there are different ways that Jesus are, uh, is represented and different um, different things about Jesus are highlighted, and you can find a different lens of Jesus in the in the Bible. 
just, a, just, just a couple I want to riff on for a second is even in the gospel narratives. So you have four gospel writers, and I've always, I was always t- taught sort of like the gospels are like uh, the writers are four people who see the same car accident and each is on a different side of the road. So the, a lot of the major details are there intact. Right. Right. There's overlapping stories. Right. Some of the stories are different. Yeah. Uh, some details are omitted. Some are added. Totally. There's definitely different flavors, and that sometimes can be confusing to someone just starting out. Yeah. And but but there's you're right. There are, are there are details you find in some of the gospel narratives that aren't in others. But you you even though there are four, you kind of see two lenses of Jesus. Um, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, they're all very very similar. Have a very similar style. Um, and, and they call those the synoptic gospels. So you have Mark, who's writing for Romans, and um, he's writing for Rome, and it's really crisp, and it's quick, and it's like an action movie. Um, you have Matthew, who's written to Jews, and so you have a lot of Old Testament scriptures quoted. I think there are over 70 references to Old Testament prophecy. So Matthew's definitely saying Jesus is the Messiah, and he's, he's fulfilling all of these prophetic you know, statements about him. And then you have Luke, who's the only Gentile writer of the whole Bible, right? And you you see in Luke's gospel that there are more Gentiles, sto- stories about Gentiles than any of the other gospels. Uh, and then he continues his part two in the, the book of Acts is kind of the part two of that. But he claims to be his gospel of Luke to be really historically accurate. He does, he does interviews, he does the research, he gets into the details. Uh, and it's orderly and it's sequenced. So these three synoptic gospels, and then you have John, and John is really different. It really reads different. Um, with with the synoptics, it's kind of like he's Jesus is the teacher and the miracle worker, but with with John, he uh, is more like a, a traditional rabbi, right? And and he, he there's long discourse. The synoptics focus more on the idea of that Jesus is the Son of Man. And, and, the, and the John gospel, he focuses a lot more on Jesus, the Son of God. And I think that's important because those are two different lenses on Jesus. And I would even say at the end, there's places in, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, where Jesus is presented almost in Old Testament kind of apocalyptic. Uh, he says he's, you know, he's coming with a rod of iron to crush yeah. like pottery. Apocalyptic Jesus. Um, so there's also, yeah, there's the glimpses of the apocalyptic Jesus. And in the Old Testament, there's things called, you know, um, there's appearances of Jesus in the Old mm-hmm. Testament in different forms. So it's a, it's a very complicated mix. And I, so I think one of the challenges for someone is how do you reconcile um, those those two pictures? I think it's it's helpful to say we have the Jesus lens. But then how do you focus that lens? Because yeah. you got the Old Testament where, you know, it seems that the law and the rules and you didn't measure up and, you know, there, there's a lot of things that seem kind of harsh. And mm. then um, I, I think that's not the entire picture, but that's often how it's ca- characterized. Mm. And then in the New Testament, you have the Son of God who doesn't, you know, is, is helping the widow, is, is, who's not stopping the 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 judgmental men from throwing stones at, at the one, you know, all of these kind of pictures that we like and we resonate with. Um, I, I actually think it's part of the challenge of faith is to work out how it is that God is presented in these two ways. Mm-hmm. It's not as simple as one is wrong and one is right. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus is right. Everything else is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's a question of how do they come together? How do, you know, when you certain lenses actually, in old-fashioned cameras would have like two circles and you had to 
they were overlapping and you had to focus them and you knew the lens was focused when the two circles overlapped and became became sharp. And in a sense, I think scripture does that too. The Old Testament and the New Testament are, are telling you two things about God and and how you reconcile them and how you focus them is a part of the challenge of, I think, of growing in faith. Yeah, the, the reason I bring up the synoptic gospel son of man lens and then the John son of God lens is because even in the Bible, there's just different on-ramps to looking at Jesus. There's just different lenses that that you can use. And I think what I got from my evangelical background was the John lens. Because if you look at John, it's where you hear about being born again. You know, many times in the book of John, um, Jesus says, or John says, believe in me. I think it's like 34 times. Uh, It only happens once in all the synoptic gospels that Jesus says, believe in me. Right. And so I I even remember we would always give new Christians the gospel of John when they when they became Christians. Um, So that it seems like that lends itself more to a horizontal or sorry, a vertical view. Right. Believe in me, be born again. There's a lot of references to eternal life in the book of John. Uh, And I and I never really knew what to do with the synoptic side, which was seemed to be much more of a horizontal view of things. It was much more about like the kingdom of God here and now and, and, and sort of that, um, you know, the, 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 the miracles and the, and the exorcisms and all of these signs that would happen uh, in the here and then in the now. And Jesus talking about following him, following him was his message there. So it's like John says, believe in me and the synoptics say, follow me. Um, and so I guess what I'm trying to say for the listeners is that, that it, I guess my question is, I don't think it's all or nothing right? If, if you struggle with the idea of Jesus, the son of God, and the verti- that vertical view of, of believing in eternal life, maybe that's not the place to start with for you. You know, maybe there's another on-ramp. Um, maybe you struggle with the metaphysical Jesus, like, like I did for a long time. And, and I still struggle this day to some of the metaphysical beliefs. Some, some of those things I really have to, I have to really um, just sort of hold loosely and just keep pursuing um, this faith that I'm that I'm holding on to. I think so many of them are, yeah. There's there's ways to reread them. Like when you say, "Be born again." I mean that, that has been so commonly assumed to be yeah. that you've had this vertical spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. But I would read it now in a horizontal way and say, essentially, Jesus is basically telling us start over. You know, yeah. so you've built your whole life on a certain set of regulations and rules. And it's gotten you so far, but what I'm telling you is go back to the beginning like a little baby and start over. See, God functions differently than you think. And and so there may be a spiritual vertical element to that as well. Right. I don't, I don't, I'm not discrediting that. Mm-hmm. But I think in the code of his day, what he's really telling them is, is you, you got to go back to the beginning like a baby and start over. And because mm-hmm. you don't, you know very little about how I, the kingdom of God functions. Yeah, but what's like what's the entrance fee, Mark? Is is it like all or nothing? Like, do I have to, or does our listener need to sort of buy into it all? Virgin birth, resurrection. He's the son of God. Uh, he's a he's he's a good teacher. He's social justice warrior. Jesus. He is, um, you know, he's the model human. Jesus. Uh, there are all of these lenses and all of these perspectives presented, and. Is it, can, can we just start somewhere? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I think you can start wherever you, wherever you are, and, and God will work with you wherever you are. As a, as a teacher, that's 
what I do every year. You know, I get students who come, they're on my class list. I assume they know certain things. Almost within a couple of days, I realized they don't know half of <laughs> what I assume they would know. So now I need to start where they really are. I need to teach them some basics. You know, I'm like I teach computers and more and more I'm finding even ba basic computer skills are disappearing because everyone does everything on their phone, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think the issue is, oh, one issue that gets in the way is, is a pro what I call the problem of authority. Mm. So I've taken some art classes where I've learned from different people. Who I, I took a class from this one uh, one guy at Forum Art Institute in Winnipeg. And I went into his class, and you know he was kind of an authoritative guy. And, and um, he had me do a drawing on a canvas. I did the drawing. The drawing was, was kind of mediocre, right? And I was talking with him about it. And he and we both agreed the drawing is kind of mediocre. So he <laughs> said, right, get rid of it, start over. And there was a moment when I went, I don't really want to start over. And, I, and then I realized, okay, he's teaching me something. And so I, I submitted to his authority. Mm. And I said, I'm going to start over. The second drawing was much better. I took my time and made for a better painting. He knew what he was doing. I got to get the foundation right. You know, and, and also, he was testing me to see, are you actually going to listen to me? Because if you're not going to listen to me, you're not going to learn very much. Mm -hmm. I get students in my classes every year. You know, I've, I've been teaching the same subject now for 13 years. And, and I'll, you know, let's say I do a poster project or whatever. And they'll argue with me and they'll say, I'll say, well, you could improve this or this is missing here or, you know. And some students will just fix it right up, you, you know, and thank you. Other students will be like, Basically, they don't want to do it. They'll try to tell you, oh, yeah, I meant to do that, you know. And so what they're essentially, they don't respect, the, you know, what you're telling them. Mm -hmm. They'd rather resist it. And I, and I think so if you have humility, you can learn from others. If you have arrogance and you're not willing to respect the authority that's there, it's hard to make much progress. So I would say, yes, yeah, start wherever you are. But I think the basic attitude of humility and willingness to respect the authority of Jesus will get you much further than coming in with kind of a closed attitude. I think one story or expression, not even a story, that has meant a lot to me is um, when Jesus asked one, one guy, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe. And then he says in the next phrase, help my unbelief. And I, I feel that you know, that tension sometimes, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I can't think, I can't help but think that there are so many people that follow Jesus, the disciples, when they first started, they didn't really know the full, they didn't have full understanding of who he was or where he was going. They just, something about him was compelling and they started following him. Um, along the way, they increased in their understanding and they started to see these other lenses and other positions of who Jesus was. But there were times where he 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 went too far for some people and they stopped following him. They turned around. There's one time in John where he starts talking about bread and how people need to eat his eat his flesh to to have eternal life. And 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 there are people that just couldn't take it. He went too far. It was too much. They couldn't understand it and they left. And he turns to his to his closest disciples and says, Are you gonna leave me too? And I think it was Peter who said, basically, where could we go? You have the words of eternal life. I guess I guess I want our listeners to to understand or to 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 know, no matter where you are in this journey, and no matter what you think about Jesus right now, if there's anything in you that's saying, I find him compelling, but I can't buy the whole thing. I can't look at every possible lens in this lens case. But there's but there's there's one thing I can one place I can start. 
I want to encourage you just to start. You, you, you don't even have to be, you could be an atheist and you could be interested in Jesus. You could be agnostic and you could decide, I'm going to start following Jesus because I like the things he's teaching or I like the, the, you know, the way he handles people. Or, there's a starting point. If there's anything compelling you to look at Jesus, just start there. But I, th- I think humility is a basic, like, you know, if you have humility, I think God will respond to you much quicker than if you're, if you're arrogant or you just think you know everything. And I, I think that's true in the classroom. It's much easier to teach someone who has humility but feels insufficient than it is someone who's arrogant and thinks they have nothing to learn from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe that God, you know, in Jesus is wanting to teach people the things that will make a difference in their life. If you and that humility is the basic starting point. So when Jesus um, told the, um, I think it was a synagogue ruler, you know, you need to be born again, it was a test of humility. Here's a guy who is, you know, part of the religious establishment. You know, he came to Jesus at night, which kind of implies that he was kind of, you know, hiding a little bit and, and wanted to get the information without being exposed to by his mm-hmm. peers. Um, but he had enough humility to come to Jesus and he had mm-hmm. enough humility to ask, you know, start asking him questions. And when Jesus tells him, you need to start again, you need to be born again. That's like the same thing that that art teacher did to me. You need to start over, just wipe the drawing off and start again. That's, he's giving him the same message. And, and it's, it's that humility and it's that willingness to submit in some way to, as you understand it, to the authority that is in Christ that will get you started on that journey, that spiritual journey. Your identity talk is getting to me, Mark. I'm starting to think this way now too. <laughs> I'm wondering if humility is, and that letting go is just about letting go of an identity. You know, um, it's like when my friend texted me and said, you know, I wish I could believe, but, um, but I'm too skeptical. You know, I, I, I know what that feels like because you, you start to develop an identity around being skeptical like this becomes who you are right and it actually is it's a it's a protection right and it takes humility to just go okay i'm just gonna let that go i'm gonna let that go and i'm going to i'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable to be seen as being this weak oh i'm somebody who's considering faith well you you were someone who was in the ministry you spoke at churches and now you're saying I'm not sure I understand this the same way anymore and yeah. it's not functioning in my life. So that shows humility, right? Mm-hmm. And you're being honest about that in a podcast that shows humility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I do think that that's okay. You don't, you don't have to have all the answers. And, um, but I think God can work with you or me, or anyone who's listening at the point where you express humility and, and a willingness to learn um, I think you're in, in good shape. I think you should re- read the gospel. Start with at least Mark or John, whichever one you know um, speaks to you, and mm-hmm. and just read them. But uh, as you're reading, ask Jesus to reveal Himself to you. And that sounds crazy, maybe if, if you're just starting on this journey. But I, I I bet you if you do that for a little while, you'll experience that it actually does work. Okay, folks, uh, do it. Try it. Uh, let and let us know how it goes. Um, we'd be we would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm.